and welcome to Impact in the Classroom, the podcast that talks about big topics that have an even bigger impact in early education. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. Today, I'm joined by, first of all, a familiar face, <laughs> Ms. Amy Kubich, president of the North Carolina Partnership of Children, and also the lead for the Smart Start North Carolina. How are you doing, Ms. Amy? I am doing well, Marnetta. It's wonderful to see you again. You were a terrific, wonderful former colleague uh, from Teachstone days, and it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you making time. And yes, it's great seeing your face again, too. We're also joined by two other amazing people. We have Christy Umfleet, Early Care and Education Specialist at Randolph Kids, and Katherine Davis, Child Care Director of The Growing Place. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for making the time because I know how your life is. <laughs> things are going, going, going. Um, so I hope that we don't have any major things happen while we're um, spending our time here together. <laughs> so welcome everyone and thank you again for making time. So I think my first question is going to be this. In a previous episode, we heard from researchers who shared what they have learned about babies and how they are talking less than pre-pandemic babies. I'm curious what trends you've seen across North Carolina in young children's learning and experiences throughout the last couple of years. I think that, Marnetta, you will hear very specific examples and stories from Christy and Catherine, but I will start by saying a resounding yes is what we're hearing from the field. Well, I don't have the data and statistics right here to share with you, and the research and data collection on that is ongoing and needs to be. We are hearing from the field, from providers, from families, concerns about this, healthcare providers, pediatricians who have been sounding the alarm, not only with language loss, literacy, also a lot of these children have been isolated far more than in pre-pandemic times. Families have been doing the best they can, trying to stay connected to grandparents and the other supports in their communities Childcare centers remaining open in most places, doing a phenomenal job of being the backbone behind the essential workers, the essential workforce behind the essential workers. But I think the change in children's development is going to be profound and we're going to continue to see it. I also know and believe so strongly in the resiliency of young children and that we are also going to see uh, new ways of being that young children are adapting, that they will continue to adapt, and those who care and educate them are also incredibly resilient and are adapting to meet the changing developmental needs. Thank you for that. Um, I think that's a very succinct statement, very concerning also, kind of scary as we look at you know, moving forward and how we support those children, because we know that all those things that you mentioned are important foundational pillars for their success, you know, later in life. But before I go on, because I can talk, um, Catherine, Christy, would you guys like to sound off and tell us what you've been seeing? I can say that we really noticed, you know, a setback just with unfortunately the mask and having just parents not come down the hall, not having that communication. And I can definitely see some of the children that have missed out on that. And, you know, I'm so grateful that we were able to stay open and be here for those families through the whole pandemic. 
And I think that was important to our families. It was sad that we did lose some and were not able to help those families during that time because they had to leave childcare. But we were grateful to be able to have the um, opportunity to be open during that time. But we did notice and have seen that setback. And we really hope moving forward that we can reach those children again and, and get them caught up to where they need to be. But it was hard to see that you would have never thought that impact would have been done, but it did. And, and we're seeing it some. And so I, but I know my teachers are working hard. And now that the families are back in my center and that communication is there, we're seeing a lot of things change already. But I'm only looking at my point of view from my center. I know Christy can see a whole lot more from all the other sites that she sees at one time. And, but just in our site, we have seen this setback. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to echo, you know, how grateful we are for our programs across Randolph County, specifically for being able to stay open and really pushing through so many of the challenges that, you know, many challenges were already there pre-pandemic. And then more challenges came along and just escalated the crisis in early care and education. Our early educators, you know, fought so hard and showed up every day for those families that really needed them to be open in our community. And so, you know, just a huge thanks and recognition to our programs for pushing through. You know, I work with Catherine and, and her program and her classrooms a lot, and I also work with programs across the entire county. I would say one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing are like social emotional needs and just some challenging behaviors that are coming up from the experiences that the children had during the pandemic. You know, families experienced a lot of loss, whether it was loss of loved ones, loss of career, you know, jobs and income. You know, our children experienced a lot um, in their early lives that no child should have to experience. And so, you know, we are seeing uh, some of the effects of that, some of the behavioral effects and some of the social emotional needs that are coming to the forefront now. When I go into classrooms, a lot of that is social emotional strategies that we are teaching the children, but also social emotional strategies for the teachers to make sure that they are continuing to care for themselves so that they can give everything that they can to the children. Yeah, because I mean, the teachers are experiencing the same losses, right? Yeah. Whether, you know, families, what's happening with their children, right? And still having to show up at work, right? Because that's what that's what they are, <laughs> right? They have those servant hearts. That's, you know, and that care. That's why we do what we do just outside of ourselves, you know, consistently. So I appreciate you supporting them and showing up for them and recognizing that they too, you know, are struggling and have these challenges while handling these challenges and struggles for the littles, you know, in the family, mm -hmm. their lives. As you guys have seen these changes, with the children and their way of being in your facilities and across facilities across the state, has it impacted any group larger, like another, right? Um, whether it be our English language learners, our students who were may have experienced homelessness, is there a greater rise in that? I would say in my experience, it probably has increased. I mean, we know that it has really highlighted a lot of disparities that were already in place. And I do believe that, it, you know, there has been an increase in a lot of those areas that you just mentioned. I do think that, you know, with some of the, the monies that have come from some of the COVID relief programs that there 
are, you know, there's a lot of work in those areas to really help with food insecurities and, you know, some of those impacts. Um, one thing that I'm seeing in um, the programs with the children is an increase in children with special needs or an increase in children who need referrals for delays in different areas. So um, for our child development services agency that provides um, um, services to children ages zero to three, as well as the exceptional children's department, which provides services three and up, um, they have just been flooded you know, with referrals for children to go through and, and get evaluations so that they can receive the services that they need. And, you know, that includes developmental delays. It also includes those social, social emotional needs as well. And then some of those speech needs that, that we're seeing where children don't have that the same language at a young age that we did see prior to the pandemic. I can say that we are seeing an increase there. I've has been, um, you know, a lot of children. I've had more social and speech therapists in my center that I've had, and I've been here 25 years, this in the past year. Um, and it's like, wow. And then um, seeing the impact on foster children, having to go, children having to go into foster care. And um, I've seen those families um, enroll in my center that I've not had in years so you can definitely see the impact and uh, know that every time we have a child that enrolls that needs services we're like how can we help so we're ready to step up and know what we can do to move forward to help those families and I was just going to add to Catherine and Christy's great comments that we were fortunate in North Carolina to have already started with a Think Babies North Carolina Alliance that really hones in on the birth to three uh, population that I would say as I look across and hear from providers, the age range, it's not unusual that when a crisis hits, it impacts infants and toddlers in a way that is so much more so, whether it's the parenting of an infant and toddler that takes so much, we know it takes a lot for the threes and fours too, but um, it takes a lot during those years. And when you don't have that network of support that you're used to having, it is a tremendous strain, but we were already advocating for babies in the state, and I think that's been helpful. We also have the awards program that is like the wages, the compensation bonus. So in many communities, infant toddler teachers were getting some sort of a bonus and to supplement the wages that are, as you know, perennially too low, they're undercompensated, the benefits aren't there, et cetera. Um, but we'll continue to advocate. And tomorrow we have a wonderful uh, Strolling Thunder advocacy event to promote uh, the needs and advocate for uh, those providers who are caring for the infants and toddlers. I love that you guys handle that proactively, right? Like you looked and because it is a huge area of development that is impacted, right? And if you're in the classroom and if they were lucky enough to be able to be in classrooms, you're, you know, in a classroom with a teacher who's masked up and really can't interact with you in the way that they normally would interact with you. So of course their social emotional development would be a little stunted, right? Um, their understanding, babies read faces, right? To understand the world. And like, you know, <laughs> um, so I could, I could only imagine um, the challenges, but I, I appreciate that you were proactive and just like, you know, hey, let's put some things in place, you know, before it's bigger. It's already a problem, but it can be bigger if we don't act now. 
Marnetta, I don't want to also uh, have us go through this wonderful discussion conversation without highlighting that Randolph County is one of the leaders I in North Carolina, but from my perspective, nationally, in outdoor learning and natural learning environments. And that has been a wonderful benefit to the early childhood, to, to families and young children, um, but to the early childhood field in North Carolina is that already programs were saying, we know children and teachers benefit from outdoor learning, natural learning environments, physical activity is critically important. Well, then the pandemic hits, and you know that's very important, much more so our awareness of uh, the benefits of outdoor learning. And, um, and Randolph has been a leader in that with Christy and uh, Catherine, and sure that your program too is one of the ones that's been involved. So I wanna highlight that. And I, I do have a huge chip upon my shoulder with early childhood. Anyone who knows me knows that. I, I know our K-12 folks have their challenges, et cetera. But in early childhood, we have been ahead of the curve on outdoor learning. We really have known that. And uh, North Carolina has been a pioneer in Randolph in particular. That was a big shout out. And I love that proponent of learning that has been added. You got beautiful country out there, <laughs> right? Beautiful weather, right? Like I'd want to be outside. I don't know about here in Louisiana though. Louisiana, I don't, I don't know how that'd work out here. <laughs> well, Kat, Catherine's site specifically is a demonstration site uh, for Shape and See and a lot of work that has been done over about 15 years, maybe a little bit more, Catherine. And every single site, every single program in the county of Randolph has been touched on their outdoor learning environment in some kind of way through those supports through Shape NC and other grants and outdoor learning initiatives. And, and you're right, Amy, I mean, this is something that we knew before the pandemic was so critical for children to be outside. We know how therapeutic it is to be one with nature, um, to get the fresh air and to interact with you know, green things and soil and experience how things grow and how amazing all of that is. And then the pandemic hit and it was really nice that our centers had those opportunities to take kids outside even more. And I think trying to protect their health, you know, we knew that being outside um, was a lot safer than being closed in doors together. And so that was a great um, opportunity for our programs to take the children out even more. But you know, going back to some of the impacts that COVID has had on both our teachers and our children and families, you know, increase in mental health needs. And, you know, we're seeing that increasing still all the time. And the resources for getting adults and children mental health needs met are, are they're very limited. So we have worked really hard to try to tap into all the resources that we have locally. But one of the things that, you know, they have right there on site is that amazing outdoor learning environment that we know helps so much um, with everyone's mental health. And so it's great that they can get the kiddos out there, they can get the teachers out there and, um, and get some, some therapy and some nature to kind of help with that too. Yeah. Well, I'll keep it everybody safe. I, mm -hmm. I love that. Right. Mm -hmm. Get outside, fresh air. Um, sun does do a lot of things for you. <laughs> so it is very important. We've talked a lot about funding, right? And, and monies. And back in March, Education Secretary Miguel Cordona called for state and school leaders to support children who are experiencing learning loss 
caused by COVID to use the American Rescue Plan funds to implement summer programs. So how are you thinking about learning loss in your program and what kind of plans are you implementing? We've been able to kind of have a little round table and talk about that. We haven't had any definite plans moving forward, but being able to use some of that money for uh, how to implement that in the classroom and help moving forward with some curriculum and some hopefully trainings that are really going to be, and I know they cost, but if we can get some trainings for those teachers, that um, will make a difference. But we are getting their input and what their needs are so that we can put our money where we know that it'll be beneficial to the teachers and the topics that they want to address in those classrooms. So that was some of our goals. And now just finding those resources and using that money that way. I mean, that's a good use of funding, right? But I I think I also appreciate that you're meeting the teachers where they are and saying, hey, how can we best support you, right? And let's follow that route because we would be, it'd be arrogant for us to know exactly <laughs> what they need, you know, um, and where they're struggling and where their challenges are. So I appreciate the approach that you have. Hey, where are you? How can we support you? What do you need to build on or more information about? Let's give you those things. Thank you. As far as summer learning programs, I know that the NC Pre-K program here in North Carolina, as well as Head Start, have implemented some some summer learning programs that were not previously in place, you know, and that was intentional because we felt like during the, the hottest part of the pandemic, when children were trying to learn virtually, you know, we knew that just wasn't really happening like we wanted it to. And so uh, they were really intentional about putting some summer um, learning programs in place. And we got really good input put and feedback from those programs. I don't know that they'll continue to do that now that, you know, children are back in school and we haven't had as much closings and, you know, children being sent home and quarantined and, and that kind of thing. But um, I think that like Catherine said, what we're really trying to focus on is what do the teachers need in order to maintain and continue to show up every day and give their best, give their all, and what do our children need, that we can be really specific to those individual needs rather than just, you know, kind of a mass summer learning program that we're really looking at those individual needs and trying to get those services in place and getting those supports in place. What are some of the examples? I know, Amy, you want to, I want to hear from you too, (laughs) but I want to catch this while it's hot. What are some of the examples of the things that were provided over your summer learnings for people who, you know, need an idea of where to start or Mm -hmm. some of the things that can happen? What were some of the things that you guys did? So they extended where typically those programs are out over the summer. They extended those summer hours and opened up those programs to allow children and families to continue to benefit from those programs. You know, and those programs in particular are geared towards low-income families and children who are more at risk. And so it was really critical that um, those who missed those in-person opportunities for so long really were able to kind of catch up and get in some of those in-person opportunities I know there's a huge need or a push for preparing children for kindergarten. What we know is that we're not only preparing children for kindergarten, but we're preparing them for life. You know, so it's more than just getting them ready for that kindergarten year. It's really continuing to provide that um, critical foundation that they need, that they'll carry those skills through their entire lives. 
But being in person for young children is so important. They did not learn well virtually. That's not how young children learn. They need those hands-on opportunities. They need those relationships. They learn through relationships. And that's something you're not going to get through a screen. Monies were extended through those programs to make sure those children could be in person over the summer and just extend those programs longer than what they typically offer. And then there was monies, you know, for additional materials and things that children and families may need that they may not have in the home that would help continue those those learning opportunities in the home. So providing books and paper and crayons and, you know, just different materials that, you know, children have access to when they're in the classroom they may not have access to them if they're at home. And so since they were home for long periods, we wanted to make sure that there were learning opportunities available for those children, even in the home. So that's wonderful. Um, yeah, screen time, <laughs> screen time went out the window. Got <laughs> in COVID, right? Right. Um, I've noticed as I've started talking more with people, right, and systems that they're trying to shift you know, the classrooms from that virtual, like we still live in this virtual setting and we are still relying so much on technology um, that it's still the focus of what's happening in the classroom. And so people are trying to do this back, right? Get back to, you know, how we used to teach and have less technology and more of those interactions that we know matter. Have you guys noticed that shift for you as well? Has that been a struggle to get teachers to shift their practices from that virtual mindset? because they were in it for like two years um, and back to what it was before in face-to-face, in-person, same room teaching. (laughs) I can say for us, you know, we want in the preschool classroom, it has not been a challenge. I can imagine the school teachers and what they've had to go through, but we were able to actually keep it just minimal. But when our young uh, children were here, soon as it was over and they got back to school, we just were like, okay, we're back to the basics and what we need to do and not use the screen time. So we are glad that they were back at school, but it did allow us to have uh, the opportunity to go back to not having those computers in the classroom, even for the school age children. And then, and they did well, they did well. They, they didn't like it, but <laughs> they did well. So yes. So not too much of a challenge for us on our end. Wonderful. Yeah. In North Carolina, we have the North Carolina Rated License Assessment Project that comes in and um, assesses our programs to provide them with like a star rating based on quality of those programs. And so, you know, the pandemic hit and those in-person assessors could no longer come and provide those assessments that they were used to getting. So what we're hearing from teachers now as we plan and provide uh, trainings is, okay, you know, we've missed out on these assessments and kind of keeping up with what we're supposed to be doing on a daily basis. Give us some refreshers. You know, let's talk about, let's make sure that we, you know, every day are, are providing a, you know, five-star classroom for these children, not just because we're going to be assessed, but just because we know that that's what's important. And so we are continuing to do, you know, trainings around curriculum and planning and trainings that contribute to different things like high quality interactions and things that that impact high quality. But another area of focus that we have tried to look at is making sure that we're providing teachers with trainings around self-care and mindfulness Again, just making sure they have those opportunities to have strategies for themselves, as well as having strategies for the children in their classroom. And we have really actually had a lot more teachers 
interested in some of those than, you know, we initially thought, but we're seeing that, you know, that's a, a huge need too. Well, yeah, to, I can build on so much of what you shared, Ronetta and Catherine and Christy, and so many avenues to, to go down um, with your good thoughts. Early on in the pandemic, we're very grateful that the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services looked to the Smart Start Network to get some of their CARES dollars out. So that was pre-ARPA. That was the COVID relief first package, the CARES Act. And um, did that through one in multiple ways, but one that I'd highlight is this program called Resources for Resilience. It's a wonderful program based out of uh, Western North Carolina, but provides uh, support training for providers, for caregivers, for parents on how do I reset? How do I take a deep breath? They have a, a really wonderful grouping of activities and practices to try to embed and inculcate in our lives as professionals in the caregiving and education fields in particular to ensure we're able to keep going. And I would add to that also, should add home visitors and parent educators, et cetera, social workers, pediatricians could go on. But um, those of us, those folks who are doing that direct service work with um, young children, so important what you were saying, Christy, is, is that caregiving and taking care. We have local partnerships that say one of the most valuable activities over the last year was a group call with providers on a regular basis, a weekly check-in just to say, are you hanging on? What more do you need? Um, the Department of Health and Human Services started a Hope for Healers hotline to provide therapy online and on the phone um, with a hotline available. I think it was 24 hours a day, therapists available to listen to childcare providers or a family member who is in crisis. And so things like that are just, I, I, we've got to find out a way to measure it, right? I mean, here I am preaching to the uh, folks who've come up with the way of quantifying interactions. Let's quantify how that kind of backbone support to the early childhood workforce kept this already stressed and fragile system going. It's pretty phenomenal. And, and I would also add, we are so grateful that the stabilization grants um, were put out and that the Department of Health and Human Services through their Division of Child Development and Early Education got that funding out to providers to be able to uh, give the bonuses, keep some compensation levels up. Um, we are very worried about what happens when that ends. We have to find a way to make the argument. It's on folks like me to be very clear with policymakers that this system was in crisis pre-pandemic and that yes, we've stabilized the pandemic crisis, but we need to stabilize what had already been in crisis before, the under-resourcing and disrespect and lack of compensation for early care and education professionals. So I'm hopeful that more eyes have been opened. They certainly are uh, paying it lip service to say it is so critically important and now we need to see the action follow. But I'm very hopeful and I think that folks from uh, places far and wide in the business community, uh, in K-12 education, they are saying, oh, wait, we do get it. You early childhood folks are critically important, both to our current workforce and to the workforce coming. As Christy said, preparing children for that lifelong journey. It's not just for that kindergarten door, but we know that these 
skills they develop um, in the early childhood years uh, and social, emotional, cognitive, physical is all for becoming lifelong productive adults. And I think, you know, that chip on my shoulder about early childhood being so great and uh, we knew it with outdoor learning pre-pandemic and we knew it on social emotional learning. We knew that social emotional learning has huge impacts uh, on and effects on academic outcomes and skills. And so drawing those connections too for folks that yes, it may be hard right now, you're seeing some challenges in uh, language and literacy, but let's remember if we get this social emotional learning right, the executive functioning skills are being developed in those early childhood years, you will see great benefits uh, in K3 and on up. I love that as a state, you are creating space for these, for people, right? And acknowledging these challenges, right? You're allowed, like checking in with people is a minor thing to do, but it's, it has big impacts. It says, I care about you. I value you. I know you're going through some things. Let me give you a beat, right? In that regard, did you guys as a state or, you know, as the separate entities you are, suffer from the great resignation that happened? Like, how was staffing? Were you able to retain your people or did you have a big shift in people resigning? I can say, um, Marnetta, that when it was very emotional, I was um, able to talk to each one of my staff members individually and just ask personally what their thoughts were, how they felt, were they willing to help through everything we were going through. And so by being able to talk to them personally and individually, I felt like it was necessary to do it by themselves and not a group because I was able to hear from them how they felt, what they were really going through. Were they scared? Yes. And so um, I can just say I was able to keep every one of my staff members. I did have to cut back their hours, but I am so grateful. And I mean, literally, when I say emotional, I cried for days because I didn't know what was going to happen. The unknown was so hard to face. And then through it, trying to really embrace that I wanted them to know that I was there and we were there for each other through this. And it was amazing to see all of my staff stayed. And, um, you know, we have celebrated after that to be able to, again, say we did this together. We went through this. We've been there for each other and the children. And I did see, you know, through the social and emotional, each teacher gave to each other. They supported each other. You know, when one was down, one would pick them up. And it was great to see that collaborative and relationships between my staff. And it was really emotional. I mean, even for myself, I was scared we were going to have to close. I didn't, I just didn't know the unknown through it all. And, um, but here we are standing strong and I have lost staff. Yes. But I can say that my staff have pulled together to get us to where we are today and proudly able to say that I've been able to interview two or three folks already and hope to really see that workforce come back. We're really hoping to just encourage each other and know that we're, we can do it. And that's where we've been able to work with each other. And um, I just am glad that it has been helpful for my staff to have each other as a team and, and family, honestly. Adult to adult interactions are just as important. Yes, yes. I think just to echo what Catherine said, again, being short staffed and, and, and early childhood being in a crisis, I mean, that, that was, we were already there. 
before this pandemic hit. Um, so staffing has been a challenge. I think we were very fortunate across Randolph County to not lose a lot of staff because of the pandemic um, and the challenges that came along with that. We were very fortunate that we didn't have t- uh, permanent closures. You know, we had temporary closures for, you know, quarantining and following the CDC and the local health department guidelines on keeping everyone safe. But for the most part, all of our programs stayed open and we still face some staff shortage. It's not great. Thank goodness. Um, We would like to get more teachers um, and more classrooms open because most of our child care programs have waiting lists right now. Um, So we know there are children and families that are not being served that we have got to figure out how to get served. Um, But I know other places were impacted more greatly with having childcare programs having to close permanently, losing staff. Um, And so I think that we are very grateful that in Randolph County, I think that that impact was was fairly minimal. You said a lot in that statement, like in in my soul, because... (laughs) Even before the pandemic, we were underserving children, Mm -hmm. right? Like there were children who needed, you know, at-risk children who benefit from, right, the environments that a formalized setting creates, Mm -hmm. right, whether it be childcare. We were already struggling with that. Mm -hmm. And these closures and the lessening of, you know, room ratios because of staffing and things like that only increased those children, right? Those waiting lists, like you said, are even longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I shudder to think about that across, you know, the country. I already know what it's like in Louisiana, <laughs> but I, I shudder to think about what that's like across the country and how that's going to impact these children, right? Because that's a whole nother, a whole nother barrier to their success in life. They're not having access to the care that they need. Ooh, I could, you said a whole word. I'm sorry, I had an emotional moment. <laughs> and our programs, I, you know, I want to say our programs, they are doing the very best they can. And they have every slot field that they have available. And, you know, that th- this is a greater problem than our local programs. I mean, this is a greater problem. We've got to do better as a greater community, as a state, as a nation, and putting our children first and making sure that we're providing for all children yeah, every, got a long ways to go. Every child that wants to go to school should have a space, right? Like Absolutely. every child, right? Like <laughs> no parent should have to find alternatives when they want an education for their children. But mm-hmm. again, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so might have to have you back for that one. Okay. Um, Invite me back. We can talk about that too. Yeah, let's do that. So aside from learning loss and addressing that over the summer, what are some other goals or plans that you guys might have? I was going to follow up on the uh, just prior discussion about the loss of staff or where are we at with kind of turnover in the early childhood field. And in North Carolina, I'm thrilled that we do have a strong relationships and a wonderful, uh, strong community college system. And they are leaning in to say, how are we going to solve for this crisis and really support um, recruitment? and building that pipeline of teachers. And it's wonderful that Catherine, the work you did, providing that intentional, um, focused, really mentoring and coaching support to your teachers. And, and you see that that, I'm sure, had an impact on their 
willingness and a commitment to stay in as hard as it was. Um, but they knew they had a leader, a mentor, a colleague who was saying, I, I believe in you. I know this is going to be hard. You were open and honest with them, about, probably about your own concerns, as you said. But I think so often early care and education professionals or might be wanting to enter the field or coming in early, or even if we can start in high school to develop uh, programs uh, through lab programs, child development programs, um, we need to have individualized support for folks coming into this field because it is so challenging. And you need to have a mentor or a coach who is saying, yes, you can do it. And yes, this is intensive work uh, and hard work. Um, but you can do it. It supports for the academics, you know, so that people can get their associate's degree, can get their um, BAs, et cetera. Um, child care programs on site at community colleges to help support the um, folks who are going into it as students in community colleges, because so often they have children of their own need the child care to study. Um, so I'm, but I'm hopeful about that apprenticeships as well. We're starting up. Uh, and investing in more and more. So they think there's some exciting new opportunities to build the pipeline coming out of this crisis. I love that, again, this proactive look, right? Like what can we do, right? You guys are boots on the ground type of people. I like that, <laughs> right? We've got Amy screaming from the hill. Hey, we need some stuff over here, right? Um, I love it. Um, what I've noticed, and this is just a side note, you know, when we lose teachers from this profession, I'm noticing they're they're out of education period. They're going to other professions. So it's not like we get to keep them and they move into a new space and like they just are not early childhood people anymore. Like they're going to engineering, like they're going, they're removing themselves from the space. And, and that's a problem. You know, they have so much knowledge. It's what we do, what the teachers do, what you guys do um, is so integral. It's Yes, you go to school, but there are things that you can't teach people in this field that they just do naturally, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's innate, it's built in them, and it's hard to fill those spaces with just a body, right? Like, um, it takes special people to do the work we do. Okay, I'm done, but you get where I'm going. And so to lose them to something else, right, that just hurts, <laughs> hurts a lot. But it says a lot about this space and how people view the space how they fund the space, how they treat them as professionals or, you know, lack, don't treat them as professionals, right? Like mm -hmm. legitimizing the work that they do. It just says a lot about our field. All right. So my original question, <laughs> I was going off again. My original question was, aside from um, mitigating learning loss, what other plans do you have? As I think about preparing for the summer, um, I did want to share with Amy real quick, though, we have... I am partnering uh, with our uh, local high school this summer to bring in some interns that are going to allow um, to see if they like this field, see if it's something they want to do. And I have an interview tomorrow with um, the students at the high school. So I get to interview them myself. So that's going to be neat to bring in some interns and who knows where I might lead, where we can keep them and then send them on to college after high school. And so we, I'm excited about that. And uh, hopefully more high schools will jump on board and do that with us. And um, so I'll have to keep you posted on that. But um, some goals uh, this summer that I'm hoping to be able to do also is, um, again, for my teachers, 
with some mindfulness. I know meeting with Christy and encouraging them to do some of those trainings. And I'm hoping to find some time where I can actually have all of my staff get together and do some evening um, get togethers. We have had an opportunity to use some of the money to uh, spend on staff for benefits. And we've talked about doing um, a huge pool party. I can kind of get a pool together here in town and those are fun things to do we have a large gym where we can have volleyball night and we have not been able to do that so I'm really wanting to get our teachers together and uh, we try to do some fun stuff with our parents if we can do an evening where we can have families come back and have activities outside in our outdoor learning environment we haven't done that in a while. I uh, hope bring those maybe back. We did that through the zoo one year. We uh, actually, I camped with my families. We had 30 families camp together at our local North Carolina zoo. I've never done that, um, but it would be fun to bring them back this summer and have a Friday night movie night. We've talked about setting up the outdoor learning environment, uh, movie, uh, place. Um, popcorn, s'mores, something fun. So we are hoping to just bring our families back together and enjoy this summer and enjoying, I'm hoping having some interns come in and have some new folks learn about childcare. You've got a lot of stuff going on. And I just want to say people who didn't, you know, those, you always have those people in the office who don't like people, right? <laughs> They're just like, I don't like people. The pandemic's got everybody loving everybody. I want to see people. I, I'll even give yes. you a hug. Right? Everybody's like, let's get together. Everybody's like, Russian. That's everybody's favorite thing now. Let's yes, get together. That is so true. And yeah. I'm, it's been weird because I've heard people say, can I hug you? Are you okay with a hug? And I'm like, permission? Yes. <laughs> yes, everybody wants to hug, like touch everybody. <laughs> All right. Um, Ms. Christie, did you want to add anything? Yeah. In addition to, I think a lot of family engagement efforts, like Catherine was saying, I mean, that's something that it's like, oh, now we get to see the families again. You know, teachers get to, you know, have those face to face relationships again instead of, you know, texting over an app to communicate with families. So a lot of family engagement engagement efforts. And then also, you know, again, going back to the um, stabilization grant monies and being able to spend that on teachers in ways that they deserve. Many of our programs have um, increased paid vacation leave and, you know, just time so that, so that teachers can take time off. We know how important it is. We know how healing it is to be able to take a mental health day every now and then or to go on vacation and, you know, just de-stress, regroup, and then come back again, you know, refreshed and ready to kind of get back to the grind. And so I've, I've heard a lot of strategies that the directors have used to make sure that their teachers feel like they can have time off without losing pay, which is so important when pay is already, you know, so low for our early educators. And then in thinking about the children, especially the school-age children that are in the summer camps now over the summer, you know, they're getting back to being able to do field trips. You know, they're getting back to being able to do some of those fun experiences that were kind of shut down for such a long time. So I think there's going to be, you know, lots of fun opportunities for these children over the summer to reconnect, um, to have positive experiences, positive interactions, hopefully boosting that mental health and boosting those social emotional skills so that moving into this upcoming school year, you know, hopefully we're going to be moving into it on a very positive note. I love it. Mental health is important. Um, my children, all the way through all of their years, I always, they got 
a mental health day every semester, the teacher would just have to be okay with it. Yeah. It's, it's important. I want to create a foundation. It is okay. Step away, decompress. So I love the focus on and the importance of making sure you check in and take care of that because it impacts so many things in a great way. Amy, do you want to say something before we wrap this up? We've had the time flew. No, I am good. Thank you. I just say uh, thank you for having us. It was wonderful to be here and so grateful for your leadership, Catherine and Christy and Randolph and in early care and education. You're um, makes me so I'm so honored to be in partnership with you all. And Marnetta, thank you for bringing the voices of the folks who are doing the work day in, day out, elevating it whenever you can. Really as much as I can do. It's it's a little, but we're trying to do what we can. You know how you know how we do over here <laughs> at Teachstone. Love the field. Always want to lean into it. Yep. Huge supports. Um, but it's people like you that makes this work possible, right? Um, so I thank you guys so much for joining me today. You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, teachstone.com slash impacting. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together. Hi guys, you guys are great. (laughs) 